leaving It's remains when we need to talk bad about my boss Take a break from work today is no total loss Welcome, welcome to this episode of the Game Fish and Parks Podcast and Blast. Um, recently, I had a big snowstorm come across the northern half of South Dakota, and uh, I was kind of stuck in Fargo, North Dakota, and got a chance to talk to one of our big game biologists or regional game biologists, a kid by the name of Nick Markle. Uh, Nick gets to do some cool stuff and sat down and talked to him about a survey that we had going on up in the northeast part of the state. Um, you know, being a communications guy, 16 years with the department, get a lot of calls and a lot of semi-joking but semi-serious, like, what are you guys doing flying around, you know, dropping mountain lions off and black helicopters and that kind of stuff and what are you looking for and what are you what are you doing well nick was leading up or a part of a a a cool study where they were literally counting deer in northeast south dakota flying like giant swaths of ground and and looking uh looking at deer and counting deer and putting them in this magic model so got a chance to sit down and talk to nick uh, pretty cool stuff, and I hope you like it. All right, welcome, welcome, welcome to this another snowy edition of the South Dakota GFP podcast and blast. I am uh, your host, Chris Hall, South Dakota communications specialist. I'm actually in really snowy Fargo, North Dakota, for an event for one of my or for my daughter, and uh, I'm here with Nick Markle, who's in in Webster. And we would probably normally, you know, think of Webster as one of the snowiest places in the world. Nick, I can tell you, Fargo's got more because <laughs> I just went through Webster and I, I'm through Fargo and. It's something else, but but uh, Nick is is one of our resource biologists, and uh, I appreciate you being here, Nick. Thanks for the time, man. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Glad to glad to be here, and yeah, it's hard to imagine someplace having more snow than us, but I, North Dakota's definitely got to have it worse. So. It, the only hill in Fargo, North Dakota, is the giant snowbanks that are everywhere. <laughs> and they're getting bigger and bigger. Yeah, they're getting bigger as we speak, actually. So, uh. Nick, Nick's on. He's a, a resource biologist based out of Webster. Nick, where are you from? You're not a Webster kid or a Northeast South Dakota kid, are you? Nope. Uh, I was I was born and raised in Southwest Minnesota, a little town of Wyndham down there by oh, right Worthington. On. Yeah, Worthington Marshall area. In there, if you're not familiar, um, went to school at South Dakota State University for my undergrad, and and uh, began working internships with Game Fish and Parks during those summers off of. Uh, school there and then i got i got lucky enough to start a job of game and fish right after college so started uh, in 20 20- oh go ahead sir oh, how long you been with us I, I started in 2013 august 2013 so be coming up on 10 years here this summer that doesn't seem like that long you still like look like a young fresh-faced punk kid to me so <laughs> then 10 years you made it yep so so nick's nick's uh resource biologist 
uh, wildlife biologist in Webster. Uh, Nick, what are you like on a day to day basis? What's a resource biologist doing? We'll talk about the specific project we're going to talk about. But what are you what are you doing on a just kind of a day to day work basis? Oh, I guess that's that's probably one of the things I consider uh, a nice aspect of the job is it, it varies seasonally and it varies um, just based on what sort of projects we have going on, I guess. So um, for me, if we have surveys or um, actual research projects going on, you get to spend some time in the field, which is always a great deal um, working on those projects. And then there's other times where maybe more data management, data summaries. Uh, maybe preparing some things for a recommendation process and uh, end up spending a little bit more time in the office. But yeah, like as of lately, it's been um, surveys and getting ready for deer recommendations. So sure. And and you just talked when before we started, you were talking about running a, a bail to a guy in Veblen. I mean, it's with this with this winter, you know, we, we complain about shoveling snow and and trying to get kids on school buses and, and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, it, it's all hands on deck up in that country for some wildlife depredation and, and trying to, trying to help landowners with, with food supplies for keeping deer out. Right. Yeah. It's, it's been one of those winters that, that started early. Um, you know, we've kind of snow covered in December and been white ever since up here and get mm-hmm. more and more snow in some of the cold. So yeah. Our, our wildlife are feeling it. Our landowners, our producers are feeling it. And uh, uh, I've been helping out a little bit on the depredation side, but certainly our, our wildlife damage specialists have been um, pretty busy trying to find solutions and uh, help a lot of those people out. So, Right. And that, that goes from everything from temporary stock panels to, to you know, bales to shortstop deer from getting in the farmer's hay bales and silage piles, right? I mean... Yeah, like our, our primary solution would be a permanent fix. So we, we really try to push like panel contracts or permanent stack yards and that sort of solutions like that. But um, we we have been busy hauling temporary panels around that we'll put up around silage piles or hay bale stacks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, winters like this, when it gets bad, um, we I think we've had all of our panels out in the region um, in the field. So we've, we've resorted to uh, hauling some alfalfa bales around for shortstop feeding sure. and that sort of stuff too now. So. Yeah, that's crazy. But let's, you, you mentioned research and, and let's talk about a little bit of research. You were kind of, uh, I don't know if you were the main guy, but you're sh- certainly instrumental in, in a survey, a big survey that that's pretty interesting. And probably a lot of folks don't even know we do this kind of stuff. I mean, you're a, you're a wildlife biologist, so this is science. This is right up your right up your alley. What what were you doing? Let's just talk about that to start. Yeah, so the the survey you're referencing here is a is a aerial deer survey that we just were able to complete in the latter part of January and the first part of February here. So we're pretty fortunate in this part of the state where we have a sightability model developed that kind of allows us to fly these surveys and, and eventually give us a, a population estimate for deer in um, the northeast part of the state, what what we consider region four. Um, we have our, our areas of the state broken down into what we call data analysis units. And that's just a, a geographical boundary that we collect our, our biological data on. We look at some of our harvest data based on the DAU level. Um, we look at like our fall classification rates and and ultimately the steer survey too so yeah so 
what 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 does that entail? You're you're saying an aerial survey. So you're are you flying all of those units? Or are you trying to fly the you know that entire region, or are you just flying big chunks? Or and and just go into that first. Yeah. So this year we were able to fly um, all of what we consider DAU nine and ten, which is up here. It would be McPherson, Edmonds, Falk, Brown, Spank, Marshall, Day, Clark. Um, Roberts, Grant, Duell, and Hamlin County. So 13 wow. counties up here in the Northeast. So it's a it's a big, broad area. Um, and the way that survey is designed, we're flying them with Cessna 172 um, aircraft, and we have transects all you know across the whole survey area. Um, those transects are spaced out a mile apart, and we're surveying a half a mile swath when we do that. So this this year we sampled at a 50% rate essentially. Um, we, we would observe and count deer within a half a mile. There'd be a half a mile that we would, would not observe. And then there'd be a half a mile that we would uh, sure. count, count deer again. So, and this is, this is actually the second time that we've been able to complete these surveys. So we flew them, uh, once before in DAU 10 in 2017, the winter of 2017, mm -hmm. and we flew it in DAU nine in the winter of 2019. So, uh, what was that? Six, six years ago. And and four years ago there um, for the previous times. So at the first time we flew them, we flew them at a hundred percent sampling rate. So we had transects every half mile. We flew every single one of them, um, observed the whole area and gave us a population estimate. This time around, we changed that sampling design just a little bit to uh, kind of be able to survey a broader area with the same amount of resources, give us some good data yet, um, but be able to give us estimates across both DAUs this time around. So, so you're you're literally flying you're flying every mile on a chunk. How how far how far are you flying on one transect? So we tried to uh, I guess to back up a little bit more about it. We're we're flying this 172. We have a, a pilot whose sole job is to fly the aircraft and watch the maps and make sure we're staying on the transect. And then in each one of those planes, we also have two game fishing parks observers. Uh, the person who's sitting next to the pilot has the responsibility of looking out the right side of the plane, sure. and the person in the back seat observes out the left side. So uh, we're trying to maintain about 150 feet above the ground uh, and about 90 miles an hour if we can. So flying along those transects, 150 feet above the ground, 90 miles an hour. Um, each observer is looking a quarter mile out each side of the plane. Sure. And as far as how long those transects are, it we we try to break them up so you're not just flying a straight line you know all the way across all those counties right uh, so it, it's usually about a county width um if a county is really tall like roberts county for example we broke that in half and sure. just flew the north half and then the south <clears throat> half so yeah so i mean how how much <laughs> that's got to take a long time how much how much time you know I, i'm just thinking i'm from roberts county and and it how much time are you spending in a plane? That's crazy. Right. Yeah, it's, it's quite a bit. It, uh, I guess to talk about like some of the challenges we had this year, we, we started this, our official start date was January 17th is when we were ready to go. Mm -hmm. And um, if anybody remembers what the month of January was like, at least up here in the Northeast part of the state, it was, it was like fog every day. Right. So uh, fog is not very good um, flying conditions. <laughs> so we're, any anytime you're in the air, you're at the mercy of Mother Nature, and uh, see, we got to have clear skies and manageable wind and good flying conditions. So, 
Yeah, we that first week and a half of trying to fly, we had a lot of weather delays, a lot of cancellations, um, and that sort of thing, which kind of drew our our project out longer than anticipated. But um, it does it does take quite a while. Luckily, we were able to have anywhere from two to four planes on a day. All right. Uh, yeah, so anywhere from four to eight um, staff using it as observers each day and. If we could have four planes in the air on a good flying day, you know, get seven, seven, eight hours of flying, we can make pretty good progress. So it ended up taking us, oh, I think we started January 17th and we finished on February 8th or 9th or something like that, I think. So, sure. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I would be terrible at this because you get me in a plane and I'm asleep in about two seconds. So, <laughs> you know, I would count three deer in two days. Um, but, so are, are we using contract pilots on that deal, Nick? Is that, is yeah. that kind of how that works? Yep, most of them are contract pilots. A lot of them, you know, they do surveys for us, other aerial surveys like our pronghorn survey. Right. Uh, we utilize some of the same pilots for that. And then um, we do have our state plane as well that we were able sure. to use for this. So, yeah, sure. contract pilots, um, state plane, and then, um, yeah, that's that's kind of the hard part is lining those guys up that have a lot of low-level flying experience right yeah because you're flying at 150 feet and you know it's that's low enough uh yes you know the funny thing is when i was talking to secretary roebling about this project and we we're kind of going and he goes you know we get we get accused of the black helicopter thing all the time and he goes now we're up in the northeast flying low and counting deer and he goes you know who knows every coffee shop in in northeast south dakota is probably talking about this so it uh -oh. it does generate some calls. Uh, luckily, most people just wondering what's going on. Uh, right. Actually, actually, more than anything, it's probably the the wildlife damage guys getting calls wondering if we're up uh, um, doing some aerial gun coyotes. coyotes. Yep. Right. They they want to know how we did, and it's no, we're just we're out there counting <laughs> deer. So yeah. So so you're literally we're flying ninety miles an hour. You're counting you're counting deer on each side. And obviously snow is good because visibility, you know, you can, it's easier to see deer and, and then you plug it into a model and let, can you help kind of try to break down, you know, how that works and, you know, sightability versus the deer you see and the deer you miss and then plugging it into some sort of formula, right? Yeah. So that's a, that's a good point that I, I haven't touched on yet, but like the, the main um, uh, what could I say? The main um, factor that we have to have in play in order to do this, conduct this survey, is 100% snow cover. Um, we can't have, you know, a spotty landscape or brown. So we actually intended to do this survey last winter, and we just couldn't get good snow cover mm -hmm. across across the whole area. And this this year, we were able to get that uh, well right away. We had 100% snow cover starting January one with the all the December blizzards we had. So. Um, yeah, we need we need that so these deer stand out good on the landscape. They're they're easier to observe. And what we're doing is we have a an app that was designed for data recording. So as we're flying one of the observers, uh, anytime a group of deer is, is observed, we'll take a, a location. We'll get a location of that herd. We record species, um, group size, and then uh, a percent of visual obstruction. And, and so. We get that good spatial data with our with um, taking the GPS point, and then the sightability model really plays on group size and what that visual obstruction is. So, sure. I guess the example that I use is 
say we're flying down that transect and you look over the nose of the plane and we got a big wintering deer herd coming up. Uh, we try to break that herd down into um, different groups. It might be groups that are in trees, groups that are in cattails. We use 50 meter separation there. So if they're all bunched together, it's one group. Um, anytime you start getting that herd broken up into different groups, different habitats, whether they're in the open, trees, cattails, um, we'll break those down into individual groups. So for each each group, we record the group size and that visual obstruction percentage. And we just have mm-hmm. five categories there. It's either zero, they're out in the open, uh, one to 25% obstruction on that group, 26 to 50, 51 to 75, and then 76 to 100%. Sure. So, uh, we record all that for every group, every deer we observe as we go. And then once it's all said and done, yeah, we'll have a total number of deer that we actually observed and counted. Mm-hmm. And then the sightability model kind of comes into play there. We'll we'll account for, you know, since we we're doing a 50% sampling rate here and only observing uh, half of the DAU, essentially, we'll account for the half that we didn't survey. And then the sightability model kind of plays on um, group size. We'll touch on that first, I guess. So group size, at the, the bigger the group, the higher the probability we're going to see it. I mean, we're, we're not going to fly over 100 deer and miss them. Right. Uh, so, we, so um, the smaller the group, let's say the lower the detection probability comes come would would be. So, that's just saying if there is a group of two there, a group of three standing in a tree belt, we we have a higher chance of flying over them and not actually visually observing them. Right. And that's that's what the model's accounting for there. And then it's it's the same with visual obstruction too. Um, even with group size, if it's small or large or whatever, if the deer standing in the open much lower chance that we miss that deer as we fly over. However, when they're bedded up in cattails or maybe, you know, a cedar tree belt or something mm-hmm. like that, real thick cover, uh, the chances that we, we missed a group there uh, go up. So then the model's accounting for more potential missed deer there. Sure. And then I would guess that the model, you know, you're flying over cedars and you look down and you're like, oh, there's two deer there it probably takes into account that there's probably more deer in there that you can't see as well, right? Yeah, it's it, if we detect a group, we want to try to get as good a group size count as we can. Sure. Um, and, and But yeah, it is saying that. It's saying, so if you detected two, a group of two in cedars, that's a small group, heavy cover, uh, pretty highly or pretty good chance that we missed other groups there as well that sure. it would then correct for. So kind of builds that in there. Yep. So the modeling thing, when I, when I talk to, you know, just my friends or whatever, and I, and I talk, and obviously I'm an English major, I'm not a biologist. And the modeling thing is where, you know, you can have somebody, and I'm sure you've experienced this too. You can have somebody, you're having a great conversation about what you're doing. And then you start talking about the modeling stuff and you kind of see folks eyes glaze over, right? Because it's super smart dudes like you and Roebling and Switzer and Tommy that, that, you know, work on this model stuff and, and, that's where I really struggle into trying to get that, you know, it, it's not as simple as, you know, we're going to fly all of Roberts County and we counted 3000 deer. So there's 3000 deer in Roberts County, even on a good year where there's all, all snow, right. It takes into, into account all of those factors. And, and, and there's, you know, I always make fun of, of you guys when you use like Lambda or something, it's like, nope, you lost me. Right. So <laughs> the, the modeling thing is, is, as I've gone on and, and looked into it and, and talked through it, it's super interesting because it's such high level thinking for something as simple as going out and counting a critter, right? Yep, exactly. <laughs> and, and, it, and 
yeah, it, some of that stuff can get way over my head in a hurry too. It, it, there's, there's some very good people out there with modeling and, and we rely a lot on them too. And, um, it's, it's kind of out of necessity too. When you start talking about wildlife surveys, we just can't, we don't have the resources or the time a lot of times to be able to just go out and do a complete census and count everything. Like I said, with us re- going down to a 50% sampling rate. So a lot of that modeling allows us to get good, good, reliable population estimates or data and, and right. well, still be able to uh, maybe do it more frequently, which is kind of what we hope to do with this. I, I think the plan is to hopefully continue this survey maybe every four years or something like that and give us a good, good sort of index of, what populations are doing over time. Right. What, and this is a little bit off, off, um, you know, not off a rabbit hole or a rabbit trail. And uh, in, in Nick's defense, normally I try to get people question a few of the questions ahead of time, but we're going, we're, uh, we're going off the trail right away. And Nick doesn't know <laughs> what questions I'm asking him. So uh, I thank you for still volunteering to do it. But on the, on the years that, that we don't have one of these scheduled or, like last year, you know, just not enough, good enough snow cover. How are you trying to sort of keep track or a really good idea of, you know, the deer populations in a certain county or a certain DAU or even, you know, the Northeast region? Yeah, so it's, we look at a lot of different things to try to piece it all together, obviously. Um, We look at, we still do our fall classification surveys in the fall where we're going out and counting deer. Uh, we'll get some fawn to doe ratios out of that, mm-hmm. uh, buck to doe ratios. So that'll give us a good idea of what recruitment that year might have looked like, how many fawns have survived to make it to that September, October time frame. Um, we'll also do, uh, we'll look at our harvest reports. Uh, a lot of times we can get good information out of what, um, how harvest has changed over time or what success might be on those tags. If success is really good, obviously, you know, we can kind of assume that we might have had a lot of deer in front of those hunters to choose from and make them successful. Um, and then we also look at some um, kind of harvest reconstruction model too that we use with our deer recommendation stuff. And that just uses all of that biological data that we collect and, and harvest and uh, kind of gives us a, a growth projection, I guess you could say with that Lambda that you brought up and and whether our population has the potential to be increasing or decreasing. So we kind of take everything we collect and put it all together and look at it. And then uh, this aerial deer survey has just been another piece to that that's really helped inform kind of our decisions and our idea of what deer numbers look like in the Northeast. Right. Uh, and I know, I know you hear it, but as a communications guy, I really hear it, you know, God, how many emails are you going to send me about that, about my harvest report and, and, you know, these harvest cards. And now, we, you know, we do most of it online. And, and I always tell people, well, if you fill it out, you take 10 seconds, you fill it out, we won't send you another email about it. But those are those are really important for a dude like you, right? I mean, you're looking at those hard. Yeah, they're very important. And I even some of my friends, too, I still hound them to fill those out, get them sent in. Like, that's that's a lot of what we have to look at is is hunter success and what our harvest numbers are. And and the more people we have fill out those reports, the better data we have to to kind of inform us and make these decisions. So it's, it's yeah, very important and, and very beneficial to us to have those filled out as, as uh, accurately as we can. So one of the, one of the most interesting lessons I ever learned, and I think I've even said this on the podcast before, uh, John Canna told me one time that zero is just as important a number as 20, that even if you went out and, and you didn't harvest a deer, or even if you had a deer tag and you didn't even hunt 
on that tag, you know, that zero um, is, is just as important as somebody who went out and shot, you know, uh, an archery buck, a uh, firearms buck and two does, you know, it's just that zero is every bit as important because, you know, that's, that's giving you the measuring stick. If only people who harvest deer are filling out that survey report, we're in trouble, right? Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's going to make success look probably better than what it is. And, and yeah, it, I, I, I hope people aren't doing it, but I could see those that are unsuccessful just at no point in filling it out. Um, right. I didn't harvest anything anyways, but that is, yeah, like you said, that's just as important for us to know as those that did harvest the deer. So right. absolutely. Cool. So now you've got all this, this information and it's got to be gobs of it. And, and obviously, you know, now with modern technology and like you said you're you're reporting it on an app and you're you don't have to go back and look at your scratches on a yellow tablet and kind of try to add it up so you've got all this information what are you doing with it so i kind of touched on it at the beginning here but mm -hmm. uh this this is a deer recommendation year for us which is it, is a, it happens on it every two-year basis so we're sitting down with staff uh, mainly COs and wildlife damage specialists and trying to figure out um, what we want to do with our deer populations in this in this region. So uh, that'll result in what or it'll affect on on um, what we do for firearms tag allocation. So we spent the last month, um, luckily we got these surveys done in time and had this data before we kind of had some of those meetings and put our recommendations right. together. So it, it was a huge help um, in kind of trying to figure that out. Uh, but yeah, that's that's the big thing is we're looking at a, a deer recommendation year and and we were able to use this data to help us um, kind of come up with some firearms tag allocations for the next two years here, hopefully. So. Sure. And you, you brought it up and and, and this is kind of like the making sausage part of it. Right. So you've got all this strictly scientific data. I mean, this is like stuff that's going into the model and you're turning out. You know, like you said, I'm going to joke around about it again, Lambda, you know, and you're, you're churning out these numbers. But a big part of that is also our, our COs, our conservation officers, our wildlife damage specialists who are on the ground. And, and not that you're not talking to landowners and stuff, but those guys are out on the ground talking to producers and landowners and stuff. And they're bringing in those perceptions of what they're each landowner and, and each, you know, producer has. And then you're sitting at a table and comparing and going, okay, that's kind of what we're seeing too, or how does that work? Yeah, so that, that, that's the idea is is we want we want all that staff to bring what they're hearing from the public, uh, you know, hunters, public, um, landowners, producers, any of that, anything they've heard over the last year or two years now in this case. Right. Um, we want them to bring that to the table, share kind of what they're thinking. Um, and then with that, we kind of put an overall population objective together, I guess you could say. Sure. Um, so we decide whether based on what we're hearing from staff and what we think is socially acceptable for our deer numbers, uh, we decide whether we want to try to increase deer numbers, maintain deer numbers, or potentially even decrease. Uh, if, if we just happen to think we have too many deer on the landscape, too many depredation issues, too much, mm -hmm. too much conflict, and we got to try to balance that. So, um, that's, that's kind of the first thing we do is we collect all that input, we establish a population objective, and then we start diving into the data. Um, trying to figure out, you know, based on our fall recruitment, our survival, our aerial deer survey, um, our harvest, all of that stuff, what kind of what trends or what what that biological data might show we're we're experiencing for growth rates. So, um, right. 
and that might be maybe well under our current harvest levels, uh, our deer population's growing and maybe we have a maintained objective. So that kind of tells us that we may need to come in and try to increase antlerless harvest a little bit to slow those growth rates. Or, uh, you know, you start getting, that may be me, the situation we're in more here in the Northeast is more of a maintained objective, but I know you get further West and, and some areas are still trying to rebound deer numbers from EHD outbreaks or um, some of that stuff. So they may look at it and say, well, our growth rates aren't high enough yet. We need to reduce antlerless harvest and try to get try to get our deer numbers to to rebound a little bit. So, yeah, that's sure. that's a real quick description of that process, I guess. Yeah, and then you know you get out west too, and then you're talking about mule deer. You're putting mule deer into that equation, and okay, we got antlerless, and 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 then we know we want to grow mule deer populations in a in a in a big chunk of western South Dakota. So then you got to take that into a factor too. So that's a whole different thing. Yeah, yeah, I just have to deal with whitetails over here. So right. they, they start getting into whitetails, mule deer, and and some of the others out west. Yeah, that they it complicates those even more. So yeah, well, so. cool. And and you said that you guys are putting your recommendations and stuff together, and that's coming in front of the commission in next month. I think April. Yeah, next. Pretty, yeah, April. Right? Yeah, yep, April. Yep. So yeah, folks so. will, I'm sure, um, you know, somebody will be presenting in front of the commission with a bunch of that information, but uh, it's just really cool. And, and I think this is something that, you know, like you said, coffee shops and stuff are talking, thinking maybe we're hunting coyotes or, you know, flying around looking for people double bagging or, you know, double dipping on, on uh, bitter Lake or something, but you know, that's actually what's going on. It's stuff that people don't really know. And, and, you know, it's a big, big part of what we do and, and how we can do things better. So cool stuff. Yeah, it, it's, it's great information for us to have and, and important for us to keep tabs on the population. And, and the more we, the more data we can have, uh, the more models we get to work with, the more informed our decisions can make, can be made. Right. So yeah, it's, it's very helpful. All right, Nick. So since you've got studies done now, you're done collecting the research. What, what is that research telling you? What are we seeing for numbers and what are you coming up with? Yeah. So for results, results on the survey here, uh, we we our population estimates this time around and I'll, I'll say DAU 10 the eastern half of the northeast part of the state so that'd be like Marshall Day Clark Roberts Grant Duell and Hamlin counties uh, we had a population estimate of roughly 27,000 deer um, in that unit and in DAU 9 out further west in that Aberdeen area uh, McPherson Edmonds Falk Brown and Spink County uh, we had a population estimate of roughly 37,000 here in that area, um, give or take, obviously. So, and then a little bit of interest in what, you know, the way we use this in our recommendation process, um, we, we kind of were able to compare these two different snapshots in time, the two different survey periods from the previous time we did it. So mm -hmm. in 2017 and 2019 and in those same units, so DAU 10, uh, we estimated roughly 20,000 deer. So uh, we've seen a, you know, a slight increase in deer, deer right. numbers there. And then um, in DAU nine or that that Aberdeen area, our previous estimate was about thirty two thousand animals. So again, a slight slight increase in deer populations there as well. Cool. And you were part of that survey as well, too. Right? Yep. Yeah, when we flew in seventeen and nineteen. Yeah. So similar conditions, same model, doing all that stuff. Everything's fairly equal, right? 
Fairly equal. Uh, we did. Cool. The only thing that changed from there was that, you know, the 50% sampling rate oh, right. compared to the 100% sampling rate. So right. um, there, there could be a little bit more variability this time around, but it's still a, a good, a very good snapshot of uh, how that population has ch changed over time. So then the other part that I think is pretty cool is, is we can go back and look at, um, you know, what our population objectives were in between there and, and what we did for changes in antlerless tags too, to try to get from use that starting population estimate to where we are now and kind of fill all the dots in in between so right cool um just kind of off the wall question we got any uh collared deer up in your neck of the woods still or at all there there are still some collared deer going around i've actually had a few people um send me pictures of them here this mm -hmm. winter so that we're, we're no longer monitoring them those deer and the projects are kind of over but uh so from like 2015 to 19 i had collared deer in dau 9 which would be that aberdeen area right and then uh from 2018 to 21 uh i had collared deer over here in dau 10 uh kind of in the watertown sure. webster area so yeah um still a few of those deer running around we 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 we've made the four and five years um term length on those projects i guess getting our annual survival rates mm -hmm. off of those deer and it just got to the point where we had um low enough uh low enough numbers of collar deer out there yet and then the batteries we we're kind of reaching the end of sure. the battery life on them so yeah i'd be surprised if if any of them really work anymore but some of those old adult does are still around with with collars on right and that was more of a sur survivability study right yeah it was uh it was a five-year project and we were looking at trying to get annual survival rates out of them sure. so we we had uh through the two years of captures both years that we captured we would get um juvenile females and females and then adult does Mm -hmm. And uh, so we would get annual survival rates on our juvenile year, our juvenile age class, and then adult doe age classes too. Cool. So and cool. Then we had right. some, gonna... over nine in Aberdeen area. We had some uh, collared adult bucks for a while, some adult bucks with ear tags. Right so we got some good good information out of them too. Cool. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you one more question, and then uh, I'll let you go because you probably got a shovel or something even to just get home at this point. But... <laughs> Been with the department, you know, 10 plus years, uh, getting out in the field, getting to do cool stuff. What's the, in your brain, what's the coolest thing you've ever got to do? Oh, the coolest thing. I'll be, the first thing that came to mind was the fawn captures that we've done. Right. We've had, we've had a lot of years of fawn captures, uh, just, you know, right after the fawn is born, uh, getting hands on them, putting a radio collar on them and being able right. to monitor and track fawn survival. The, the field work on that is always fun, whether we did it here or I got to go out to the Black Hills and help them catch right. whitetail and mule deer out there. That was the best. Um, I don't know. I've got, I've got hundreds of hours in a Cessna 172, so it's always great to get out flying. Um, I love that. Helicopter surveys in the Black Hills for elk. Yeah, right. it's. I've gotten to I've gotten to hop on a bunch of fun projects. So when you were doing some of that, the you know captures and the, the fawns and stuff where you're using helicopters and like vits and stuff where you're capturing you know pregnant does and then putting a vit and then trying to get that fawn right away as soon as it hits the ground or we've, what were we've you doing had there some, we've had some projects that did it that way across the state but for us um what we were doing is we just had staff boots on the ground staff out there a uh, lot to help and you, you just observe does basically um at that time of year if they have a fawn you know they're nursing every four to six hours or so and 
um, you can just kind of tell by looking at her, you know, she looks skinny all of a sudden that doe kind of acts like she has a fawn. And if right. we get eyes on her, you watch until she nurses, shows us where the fawn is, and then we can go find it. So, right. I, yeah. I did a little bit of that with Nathan Baker and, and, uh, we were kind of on the river bluffs and North the pier. And we finally saw the, the doe come back and there's the fawn and we're like, okay, we're sneaking up and that fawn took off. And we were running and trying to chase it down, and and we finally got it down, way down in the bottom. You know, she didn't go too far, but got all that done. And I looked back up, and the pickup was a mile away and about 500 feet above our heads. And I said, I might just have you get a boat and come get me because I'm not making it back. <laughs> I'm stuck out there. Yep. Yep. So that's cool yeah. stuff. Well, thanks, Nick. I appreciate the time. I mean, this these projects like this. I mean, I know you get to do them a lot and and stuff, but this is really cool stuff that people don't know that we necessarily do on a, on a yearly basis or, you know, going across the state. Certainly we're doing all kinds of stuff, but I appreciate the time and, and I uh, hope you don't get snowed in at work. I hope you can make it home. So. <laughs> Let's hope not. It shouldn't be that bad, but right. yeah, thanks for, thanks for having me on. And yeah, appreciate being able to talk about a little bit what we do here. So yeah. Webster's, Webster's finest, Nick Markle. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Well, that's it from my man Nick. Um, good stuff. Um, kind of interesting, you know, some of the stuff that people don't really realize how it works and, and, and that we do it and, and what goes into, you know, season settings and how many tags get from each county. And this is a, this is a big chunk of it and, and with this winter and the snow. And uh, they got a chance to fly those units up in the northeast part of the state and, and got, uh, got good numbers and, and look for those to be in the deer season hunting proposals um, at the commission meeting in April. So, um, I don't know, sun shining, snow maybe more on the way, but uh, I think um, even as for as much as I love to ice fish, I think I'm over it and I'm ready to do some shore fishing and boat fishing and, and uh, not shovel a bunch of snow. Um, turkey season just around the corner, paddlefish snagging season at it. Uh, up in the central part of the state, just around the corner. Um, but turkey season, I guess, is the big one everybody's talking about. And and uh, obviously, you know, with this amount of snow, it'll change things a little bit in some places. Um, other places, we're used to it. And So uh, get out, have some fun, be safe. If you're doing some late ice fishing, be safe, be smart. And uh, I did do a video on how to get out if you do fall through. That's on our uh, South Dakota Game Fishing Park's YouTube page. Just got that done. Thanks, big thanks to the South Dakota, or Sioux Falls rather, um, police department uh, for helping out and volunteering to fly or fall in. And they flew a drone and they were shooting video too. So good stuff and good cooperation. So get out, have some fun, be smart about it, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Place where